Okay, everyone, welcome back. If we could have everyone take their seats. If you're still out in the lobby area looking at the exhibits, you'll have plenty of time to do that at noon when the seminar is over. So uh, we don't want you to miss any great information. So if you're out in the lobby, just make your way back inside. Um, so I want to welcome you back. And it's now my pleasure to introduce our next speaker of the day, Franco Reina of the American Diabetes Association. Franco is an associate director at the American Diabetes Association's Los Angeles chapter. He spearheads a variety of diabetes outreach and education efforts in the Los Angeles area under the ADA's Porto Familia program. Franco received his bachelor's degree from the University of Southern California and his medical degree from the Universidad Autonoma de Nueva León in Monterrey, Nueva León, Mexico. Prior to his tenure at the American Diabetes Association, Franco served as the director of the Multicultural Area Health Education Center, a nationally recognized nonprofit serving Los Angeles County. He directed a variety of programs and projects in the area of diabetes, cancer prevention, and maternal and child health. He also served as the liaison for the center on many health-related coalitions and action groups. Today, Franco will be sharing some helpful information with us on living a good life with diabetes. So please join me in welcoming Franco Reyna. Good morning. How's everyone doing today? A little bit cold, right? But but cold is is good because if it were warm, we would complain about the warm weather, right? Great. Uh, thank you, Courtney, for that wonderful into uh, introduction. Um, and I'm going to carry our presentation more like a conversation. So uh, if you have any questions. Raise your hand. We'll try to answer them as we go along because the important thing is to uh, understand what diabetes is because I know that a lot of us that have diabetes and have been living with it for a very long time, even now, you know, if you've lived, lived with it for a year, for five years, for ten years or more, sometimes we're not quite clear on what it is and why we're doing the things that we are told to do. Okay, so it's important to understand it. Uh, diabetes at, at its most basic uh, so that you're able to do uh, stuff and things in your daily lives that will help you to manage it or to help those in your families that have it, okay? Before we get started, uh, I'd like to know if you have diabetes, raise your hand. Okay, great. Well, not great that you have diabetes, but great that I see hands. Uh, how many of you have a family member that has diabetes? Great, hands down. Uh, how many of you know someone, a neighbor, a friend, uh, that has diabetes? As you can see uh, or feel or sense, uh, most of us in this room either are living with diabetes ourselves, someone in the family has diabetes, or we know someone with diabetes. And that's really unfortunate because diabetes is affecting too many people. Um, you know, I think today you probably know that November is Diabetes Month. You know, uh, so you're going to be hearing, probably have been hearing a lot about uh, this disease uh, in November. And unfortunately for me, I don't like this disease of the month type of thing because, you know, last month was Breast Cancer Month. Breast cancer doesn't just happen in October. Diabetes doesn't happen just in November. It happens every day. 
and health is important, and that's why it's important to really try to do things to maintain and sustain the health that we have, and if we're not in a good state of health, try to improve it with very simple things that we hear every day. Almost every time that we pick up a, a newspaper, turn on the radio, listen to the television, you know, we hear these great messages about nutrition, about being active, about doing this, about doing that, but very few of us realistically and quite honestly take those messages to heart and really act on them. And we hear them from different people, from different groups, from different places, but we don't take that to heart and we don't act on them. And so I'm hoping that by the end of today, with the speakers that you've heard this morning and this afternoon and perhaps tomorrow and in the future, that you take that information and try to act on it, to try to incorporate it into your daily routine, uh, into the, your daily lives, because in the long run, it will help you uh, live a better life. Okay? So if I were to ask you, what is diabetes? What would you say? Okay, we heard the word sugar. Uh, I think glucose, carbohydrate, insulin, inability of the blood to use sugar, uh, which are all great words, right? And we're going to get to that in a minute. How many types of diabetes do we have? Two. Anybody know a different number? Okay, see, we're, 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 we're kind of jumping between two, three. Uh, if we're going to settle on two, what are the two types of diabetes? Anyone know? What's the difference between type one and type two? Okay, now let me ask you another question. Those of you that raise your hand that are living with diabetes, if someone were to ask you what type of diabetes you have, what would you say? And how do you know that you have type 2? And the reason I'm asking these questions is because, you know, once again, if you've had diabetes for five years or you, whether you were diagnosed yesterday, the important thing is that you have to know what your diagnosis is, what type of diabetes you have. Because the reality is that diabetes is not one disease. It's not two diseases. It's three diseases, and they're all different, and they, they don't have a cure. And that's something that if, if you don't remember anything I tell you today at the end of my presentation or our conversation, please remember that diabetes has no cure. Much like a lot of diseases in medicine, in health, a lot of ailments that affect mankind, unfortunately, have no cure. And that's a fact. Okay, and we're talking more probably than 60% of diseases that affect us we have no cure for. Okay, very important. But that doesn't mean that we don't know how to detect the problem. That doesn't mean that we don't know how to manage it. It doesn't mean that we don't know how to help people to keep that ailment at bay and keep it from progressing to a state where the individual perhaps loses their life. And that's important for cancer. That's important for 
diabetes, that's important for high blood pressure, that's important for arthritis, for Alzheimer's, for any disease that we have that you know of that you may be living with. A lot of them don't have a cure, but there are certain things that you can do to manage and control it and keep it where it's at and once again help you maintain your quality of life and live perhaps a, a very good and, and maybe a longer life than somebody that doesn't have those diseases. And that's a fact. Okay? So remember that. Okay, let's get back to what, you know, diabetes is and, and kind of try to differentiate between uh, the two types. And we'll talk a little bit about the third. Uh, back in, you know, maybe uh, year, about 10, 15 years back, uh, before the new millennium, as we call it, uh, 1995, we used to use two names uh, for the two more most common types of diabetes, and the names are juvenile, adult, onset diabetes. And you probably have heard that, okay? And you're probably so uh, confused in your mind because you may think you have or had juvenile diabetes, or if you have a, a, a youngster, a newborn that you may know of, that's developed diabetes, you would think that they would have juvenile diabetes. And the reason that we use these names was that back, you know, before 1995, there was a really fine um, separation between the two types of diabetes. Uh, the juvenile diabetes, as we, as we used to call it, is actually diabetes type 1, which today the definition is anyone that a diagnosis, their body seizes or stops producing or has stopped producing insulin. So obviously, anyone that has type 1 diabetes absolutely requires insulin every day in order to live. The moment you take away that insulin from that individual, their body will react and can eventually die if they don't receive insulin within hours because the body absolutely needs insulin to live, okay? So anybody that has type 1 diabetes, their body is producing zero insulin. And so once again, in order to live, they need to be injecting insulin every day of their lives, type 1. And that is about maybe... Six or seven percent of all individuals with diabetes. Simple, right? And then we have the other type of diabetes, which is actually the most common. Whenever you hear somebody say that they have diabetes, it's highly probable that they have type 2 diabetes. And this we used to know as the adult onset or adult type diabetes. Why? Because Back in 1995 and before, most individuals that developed type 2 were, of course, adults, and usually uh, individuals that were 40 years of age, 45 years of age, or older. And it was really, really rare to see a 5-year-old, a newborn, a young teenager with diabetes type 2. And likewise, with type 1 or juvenile diabetes, it was really rare to see anybody with type 1 diabetes 
above the age of 25 years of age. So you can see how juvenile and adult really told us a lot and really differentiated the two diseases. Well, unfortunately, we live in the new millennium. We, we have progressed in a lot of ways, but have gone back in many ways in terms of our physical activity, in terms of our meals and what we consume and eat every day. We've gone backwards. And because of that, we are now seeing a lot of youth, a lot of kids that are first graders, second graders, third graders. In our schools, five, six, seven, eight-year-olds with diabetes type 2. Why? Because they're a little bit overweight. Many are obese. They're very inactive. And they've developed the adult type of diabetes at a very young age. Very sad. And we see that every day. And that is why we no longer use juvenile and adult to differentiate or to tell us the type of diabetes that people have. It's based on insulin production, and we don't look at the age or the type of individual as we have in the past. Okay? So very simple to remember. Type 1, any individual, newborn or 100-year-old, individual where their body at diagnosis has stopped producing insulin, okay? Type 2 is the most common, and it's probably about uh, 90% of people with diabetes. And individuals with, with diabetes type 2, their body still produces some insulin, but not enough for our body's needs, or the insulin is not working like it should. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute, okay? So we're clear, right? So if I were, someone were to ask you how many types of diabetes, we would say there are three, and we'll talk about the third one in a minute. But you'll also be able to tell them the difference between type 1 and type 2, okay? Very, very important. The third one is actually more of a temporary situation, for lack of a better word. And it's very unique because it only occurs in women, and even then in women that are pregnant. And you know it as gestational diabetes. And it's a very com they're all very complicated diseases. Um, and, and the simplest way that I can explain it to you and what happens during pregnancy is that we all know that when a woman becomes pregnant, um, the body begins to produce different substances, different chemicals to sustain the uterus, to sustain the developing fetus, right? Things that are not produced in, in a time before or after pregnancy. And so sometimes our body or the, the woman's body reacts in a way that it awakens the body's immune system and the immune system begins to attack that woman's own body. Different organs could be the liver, could be the kidney. Um, in a lot of cases, it's the pancreas. And so what happens when that immune system attacks the pancreas? It stops producing insulin. Diabetes develops during pregnancy. So when the baby is born, there is no need for all those substances that are produced to sustain the pregnancy because the pregnancy is no longer happening. So what happens? The body returns to its normal state. And for the most part, in almost 99% of the women, 
that have their pancreas affected by their immune system, the pancreas recovers almost instantly and the diabetes, quote-unquote, disappears. But that woman will develop that same reaction each and every pregnancy thereafter. And perhaps the reaction can be a lot faster and a lot more severe uh, in each pregnancy that that woman has. So it's important to tell uh, there, you know, a woman that uh, has developed diabetes during pregnancy is important for them to tell their physician that they've had diabetes so they can manage their pregnancy because it can get you know pretty um, complicated. Okay, so three diabetes, type one, type two, gestational. And remember that every single type of diabetes, there is a problem with the insulin. And why is insulin important? Anyone know? Great. Uh, without it, the glucose, the carbohydrate, the sugar, all the same thing, can get into the cell. And why is carbohydrate, glucose, sugar important? Energy. Very good. Is that the only type of energy that, that our, our body utilizes? Excellent. Okay. Thank you. That's, you guys are really, really uh, into this, and you're very um, informed. And I'm going to present it to you in a, in a simpler, simple way so that, so that you never forget it. Okay? Our body requires energy from the moment we're of conception to the moment we die. Okay? We need to have that gasoline constantly because if we don't have gasoline, our body doesn't work, can't work because it has no gasoline to work with. You know, much like our cars, in, in, in a way. Okay, if we don't put gas or, or, or a gas tank doesn't have any fuel, our car's not going to take us anywhere, right? Regardless of whether that car is brand spanking new, just took it out of the dealer, or we have a 30-year-old Volkswagen, um, regardless of the type of car and, and with the condition of the car, if there's no gas in there, it's not going anywhere. Same thing with our body. If we don't give our body the fuel that it needs, eventually we're going to use up our stored energy and we will have no gas, we will die. That's why energy is important. How do we get our energy? Food. Isn't that simple, right? And now you kind of understand why all these messages about food and nutrition are so important because... Our body requires certain things from the foods that we eat. The most important being that fuel that is giving our body life every day. And much like our cars, okay, I don't know if any of you have driven into a gas station. When we drive into a gas station, how many choices for fuel do we have? Three, right? Uh, usually, well, well, we'll leave the diesel to the side, okay? Uh, but usually we have three choices for gasoline. And regardless of the car that we drive, we actually stick to one of the three, right? Whether we drive a, a luxury car, a Lexus, a BMW, or once again, a little 30-year-old Volkswagen, most of us, we have those three options, but for the most part, stick with one of the three types of fuel. But at any given time, we can actually use either of the three, right? 
but it's personal preference that we use one. Well, believe it or not, our body is pretty much like our car in that regard, that we have three sources of fuel from the foods that we consume every day. What are they? Very good. Proteins, fat, carbohydrates. Okay? And much like our cars, what does our body prefer to use as its main source of fuel? Carbohydrates, sugars, glucose. It doesn't mean that the protein and the fat aren't important. It just means that our body prefers its fuel in the form of sugar because it's most easily and fastest uh, transported through the blood and into the cells so that those cells can have that energy to do what that cell does. If it's a brain, brain cell, to keep our computer going. If it's a muscle cell, to keep our muscles and our body moving. If it's a bone cell, to keep our, our bone structure. If it's a kidney cell, to help us clean our system. If it's a blood cell, to help our body carry that oxygen. We have thousands of cells that do specific functions that need that energy constantly to do whatever it is that they're doing. And the only way that we have of getting that energy is through what? The foods that we eat, right? And so don't you think it's important? And do you think sometimes you wonder why we always talk and, and hear and, and, and people are so involved with nutrition and types of foods we eat? Because don't you think that foods are important? Okay. Um, and so there you get to the simple messages that you hear every day. Physical activity, nutrition. And we won't get too much into the um, food part of it because that's a whole separate conversation and it's very detailed. And we'll get into it a little bit. But four things that you need to remember that can help you and guide you in terms of your living and eating healthier. Okay? Four things that you need from foods. You need a little... A few items more, but at its basic, from the foods that you consume every day, at the end of the evening when you're about to go to sleep, and you add up all the foods that you had that, that day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, all those foods have to give you four basic things. They have to give you fuel. And the fuel should come in a kind of uh, nice proportion way. It shouldn't be all carbohydrates. It shouldn't be all fats. It shouldn't be all protein. You should get a nice proportion of carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Calories is what that fuel is measured. And we all know that if we consume too many calories and our body is not utilizing all those calories that we consume every day, what happens? Well, exactly. If we don't eat enough, then the opposite we lose a little weight, okay? And the proper portions for with respect to the fuel should be half of your calories should be carbohydrates, sugars, glucose. About 30% should be uh, fats, and then about 20% proteins, okay? So at the end of the day, if you were to sit down and, and analyze all the foods that you ate and all the calories, your calories should be, if you're a male, it should be about 2,500, 2,400 really, uh, 2,400 calories per day for an 
average male. For a female, it's a little less. It's about 2,200. And those calories, if you're really doing it well, if you're eating, you know, a variety of foods, then those calories would be in those portions of about 50% carbohydrate, 30% fat, 20% protein. And if you're doing it that way, you're doing an awesome job. And that's only the fuels that we're talking about. Okay? Second item that you need from your foods is what we call, and we've heard about uh, something called vitamins. Okay? And vitamins are very important because they're substances that our body cannot produce from any source, from anything that we have inside. So we have to receive them constantly from the foods that we eat. We know them as vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin K, the B complex, the C, um, folate. There's about 13 or 14 vitamins that we need to be receiving from the foods that we consume because those vitamins cannot be produced by our body. And so what happens if we're not eating a variety of foods? Then we have vitamin deficiencies, and then we suffer, we have ailments. Example, vitamin D. Anyone know or have an idea why or what vitamin D or why vitamin D is important? Or what function or what, why it, it, um, it's needed? Energy, uh, okay, uh, but more bones, someone said here, okay. Vitamin D is important as the glue to make our bones strong, okay. If we don't consume enough vitamin D, what can happen? We have soft bones, osteoporosis. We start losing that glue that those, our bones become soft and brittle, okay. And what are some foods that contain vitamin D? Milk, a lot of the dairy products, right? And that's why we recommend dairy products and certain foods because they have certain vitamins that are important for our body, okay? And so we can go down the list of all the vitamins and give you examples of why they're important and what foods uh, contain large portions of that. And, and that's the, 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 the information that we receive from, you know, nutritional information. And, and we, do, we do that. But today's point is to give you a general overview, okay? Third item that's important from our foods is what we call, exactly, what's calcium? Calcium is a mineral. And we have about 55-plus minerals that our body needs, for the most part, for its chemistry. Okay, calcium, iron, potassium, and we can go down the list of all the minerals that our body needs, and there's no way, no how, that our body can produce those minerals. We have to be consuming them in the foods that we eat. Iron. What does anyone know uh, what iron and why iron is important? Blood, red blood cells. Iron is important for our red blood cells to maintain them, maintain their shape, and allow that exchange and release of oxygen, okay? Uh, calcium. Calcium is important for bone. Uh, if we don't consume enough calcium, once again, we have problems with our bones. Uh, we have also problems with our body chemistry. Calcium, sodium, chloride, and a few other minerals are... Exactly, 
Okay? Those minerals are important for body chemistry. And sometimes those minerals are important to have in the blood, in some of the, the um, different compartments, because they carry out a lot of the chemical reactions. And so what happens when those minerals, you know, are a little bit less or a little bit more, it can cause havoc. Example of calcium. You know, when the, when the calcium level in the blood changes, it can affect our heart, our heart rhythm. It can make our heart go wacky. It can, it can cause it to work harder than it should or not, not as hard as it should. And, and it can cause, you know, uh, death if, if it's, it changes, uh, too much in both ways, either in, in quantity, uh, more quantity or less quantity. So minerals are important. Okay. And lastly, we also need liquid and our liquid is water. Okay. Water is not a mineral. It's not a vitamin. And for the human, it's not a fuel source. It's just the environment that is necessary for a lot of our compartments, our organs, to continue to do what they do. And we need to have constant, uh, a constant amount of, of liquid in our, in our body. Okay? And for, for most humans, it's about 55% of our weight. And you probably heard that as well, that our, our weight, regardless of what it is, uh, all of us, whatever weight we weigh, it's 55% of that is the amount of water that we carry that's necessary to maintain life, okay? And so, of course, if we lose water through respiration, through perspiration, or through urination, then our body needs to recover that water loss, right? And so what's the recommendation for the amount of water that we should be drinking every day? So... Now do you think, now you know why it's important and why that message of eight, six to eight glasses of water. Why? Because we want to maintain water balance. Why? Because it's absolutely necessary for our body to maintain it throughout life. From a newborn to a hundred year old. Okay? And how do we lose water during the course of the day? Because our body works, we lose it through respiration, through perspiration, and through water loss, through urine. And that water has to be replaced because if we get dehydrated or overhydrated, our body chemistry goes wacky and we can have very serious problems. Okay? Yeah, and, and those are, you know, once again, those are general recommendations. We know, of course, that in different parts of the year, during summertime, because of the weather, we're perspiring a little bit more. We're losing a lot more water. Um, so we drink a lot more. During wintertime, the opposite. You know, our body is kind of, uh, goes into a different kind of mode where we try to save a little of that, uh, water and we don't lose as much. So we may, we may not be drinking as much. So, and you know what? You really don't think about it because your own body has mechanisms to keep that water balance constant throughout life. And, and there are certain, uh, conditions that can cause your body to lose that that um, automation, as I call it, uh, that regulation to keep your body. And there's actually a, a, a another type of diabetes called diabetes insipidus, which is really rare, which causes a loss of water. And it's actually 
a problem in the brain. Uh, there's a there's a, a little site called the hypothalamus uh, hypothesis in that whole little area here in the brain that manages uh, sodium, and sometimes um, that sodium balance is not maintained, and we lose a lot of water, and it gives us similar symptoms to diabetes, and that's why it's caused called diabetes insipidus, but it's not related to diabetes mellitus as, you know, what we're talking about. And that's a different story for another day, but just wanted to mention it. Okay? Back to our discussion here. And the reason, once again, I, I mentioned the four things that we need for our nutrition because it all starts there. Okay? If we consume foods that are not helping us, like we see a lot of today, uh, too much fat, too much salt, and really too much of anything or too little of anything is going to cause problems. And that's why a balance, the words balanced, the words variety and portions are the three key things that you should always remember with respect to your foods because you want your foods to give your body what it needs every day now and for the future because the better that you're able to consume your foods and give your body what it needs, the better your health will, will be. And unfortunately, very few of us know how to do it or even care to do it, including individuals with diabetes, including individuals that have been taught supposedly how to eat because they have diabetes. Um, and we don't realize what we're doing sometimes because we don't understand the basic part. And if you understand that the foods are important because they need to give your body everything it needs, then, you know, you're on your way. Okay? And don't think of foods as just a thing that, you know, um, a pleasure type of thing because it, it really is more about keeping your body uh in a healthy situation and giving it, once again, the basics that it needs. And so the more variety that you consume from day to day, the better. Because the more variety of foods that you consume, the more probability that you are consuming all the vitamins, all the minerals that your body needs. And that's one of the unfortunate things about our daily eating habits that we are gotten into a routine where, you know, we eat a certain food almost all the time. We don't vary what we eat. We don't bring to our homes a variety of foods because perhaps, you know, for a lot of reasons, because they're not available, because they're too expensive, uh, because we don't like them. And it, it's, it's a tough call. And, but if we begin to make a conscientious effort to improve and increase the variety of foods that we consume every day, we will do well. And it will help with us, again, getting what our body needs. Okay? Um, three things that we need to watch, once again, uh, as we're consuming those foods, portions. You know, uh, and that's one of the biggest pet peeves that I have with respect to portions because almost no one that I first talked to can re even tell me what the proper portion size? You know, they first, 
I asked them, what's the normal size of a plate? If you can show me with your hands, what's the size of the plate that you should be consuming every time you sit down to have a meal? Okay, that's pretty fair. And it really is about the size of your hand. It's a tough approximation. It's from the tip of your thumb to the tip of your small finger. It's about no no bigger than nine inches. It actually should be about eight. Okay? Unfortunately, a lot of us, you know, uh, we sit down and we bring on a plate that's probably double, you know, about the size of a regular, you know, piece of paper, which is eight and a half by 11, which is, and we call that, you know, a normal size. And that's just the size of the plate. We haven't even gotten to what we put on that plate. You know, what do we do? We bring a plate about this big, and then we stack on it, you know, probably a steak about double the size of my hand, Uh, slap on a little bit, you know, spaghetti, and then a little tad of vegetables. And then we pile it up so high. And then we say, that's portion. And then we, and then we wonder why we gain weight and why we can't lose weight. Even though we have all these vegetables, we have the meat, the protein, and we have our carbohydrates and pastas. And then we still wonder, well, I got variety, but I'm still gaining weight, you know, and, and, and unfortunately portion size are a problem, okay? With, you know, we tell our, 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 um, Participants, or our clients, or patients, with respect to uh, portions, uh, if you look at your plate, once again, you should be eating and serving yourself on a plate no bigger than the size of your hand, no bigger than nine inches. Okay, and and realistically, for a person with diabetes, you should be eating on a kid's plate, which is a little bit smaller, and you should be eating six times a day, and we'll get that to as well in a minute. Okay, when you're eating. Try to visualize every time you sit down, for the most part, sometimes it's difficult, but try to divide your plate in three sections. You divide it in half, okay? And one half should always, always be vegetables. Whatever vegetables you like, whatever vegetable you have on hand, broccoli, carrots, um, lettuce, tomatoes, Half of the plate each and every time, half, okay? Then the other half you're going to divide in halves or quarters, as we say. One quarter is going to be your meat. And with your meat, we don't have to worry about being it being red, it being white, it being fish, it being blue. Meat is meat, okay? And there's no restrictions because for people with diabetes, no one should tell you that you can't have Cake, you can't have bread, you can't have, because it's not about not having food, it's about variety and portions. Okay? Your meat size and your portion should be no bigger than a deck of cards, the cards that we use for poker. That's a portion. Unfortunately, most of us are used to serving ourselves three or four times, three or four deck of cards when we eat, and we think that that's a portion. Okay? And then the other, a quarter uh, should be your pastas, which are usually your soups uh, or your, uh, you know, your uh, spaghetti, that kind of stuff. Um, and if you change over every day, if you 
have different items. It shouldn't be, you know, for morning, most of us have cereal and slice up a, a banana and, and a uh, half a glass of milk. We pour it on, and it's, it's, a, it's a great breakfast. Don't get me wrong. But if we're having that same cereal, that same banana, that same milk every day, it's a, you know, the, 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 the cereal and the milk and the, and the banana per se are, are fabulous, but there's no variety. We shouldn't be having that cereal and that banana uh, every single day for breakfast. You know, you got to change it up a little bit. Same thing with lunch, same thing with dinner. And that's what variety is all about in combination with the portion size. Okay? Three things that you should watch as you're consuming and you're serving your, your meals is what we call in, in diabetes are ABCs. And I'm sure all of you know that because we all, all of us should be watching every day the sugars and the type of sugars that our foods are consuming, uh, that the, in the foods that we're consuming, we should be trying to consume foods that contain complex sugars, complex carbohydrates, versus the refined, which is the simple sugars found in candies and uh, donuts and, and cakes. We can eat those, but not every day. Okay? Be why? Because the complex... The, for the, the complex sugars, for the most part, also have or are part of a complex food. And so what does that do? It, 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 it slows down or, or they're digested a little bit slower. And they don't get to the blood as fast, so our sugar doesn't rise as, as fast or as high. And I'll give you an example, okay? Let's assume that, um, you know, yesterday... The, uh, the little boy or the little girl next door came over and sold us a little candy from, you know, the school, um, fundraiser. And so we have a chocolate that costs us $2. That's about 200 calories. And we have an apple. And it's snack time. So, you know, the, the chocolate is about 200 calories. The apple's about the same. It may have, they may even contain the same type of sugar. Okay? So let's assume that today I'm going to choose to eat the chocolate instead of the uh, the healthier food, the apple. So I chew on the chocolate, and lo and behold, perhaps five, ten minutes after I, I've eaten that chocolate, where is my sugar? Probably up in the sky somewhere, right? Why? Because that chocolate, the sugar, even though it's just 200 calories, that chocolate is simple sugar. The moment that I put it in my mouth almost instantly in the blood. So my body, if I have diabetes, may not have the mechanism to start cranking up and producing that insulin to, to be able to be prepared to accept and absorb that, that sugar once it gets there. There's not enough time or, you know, and so the sugar goes up because it's digested so quickly. Now let's take the apple. You know, later on that afternoon, I'm going to be good to myself. I'm going to eat that apple. And so I eat that apple, same amount of calories. But that sugar that's in that apple may be simple sugar, not much better than the refined, but it's got all the other, it's, it's mixed with other things. It's got fiber. It's got vitamins. And so our body has to break all that down, and it's going to take time to break it down. So even... Though there's sugar in that apple, it may not take till 
two hours, two and a half hours later to get into the blood. And by that time, my body perhaps will have enough insulin and will be prepared to handle that sugar load that gets in so that the sugar doesn't go sky high. It may just go to the ceiling, but it's not, you know, out of this world. Okay? And really, a person with diabetes, when you talk about nutrition, when you talk about the foods and you're thinking about the foods that you should be consuming, those are the choices that you're making. We're not telling you don't have that chocolate, don't have that piece of cake. We're telling you make better choices because you can have that chocolate. You can have that cake, but not as big a piece and not as often. And you'll know what will happen to your sugar. And when you're eating foods, if you are good to yourself and you're managing your sugar levels day to day, you're going to know which foods contain the complex carbohydrates, which foods are going to be help you. Your, your sugar level is going to go up regardless of what you eat because all foods have fuel and all the fuel eventually gets converted into sugar and your sugar level is going to go up. The, the, the thing and the trick is to utilize the foods with high fiber that are complex, that are digested a little bit slower so that you help your body manage how high your sugar level goes. And it it's not going up sky high and then coming back down because a lot of us, you know, we think we're eating well and at the end of the day, you know, our sugar is okay. But during the course of the day, our sugar could have been up here, then down here. And that's a problem because you're on a roller coaster. You know, your sugar's going up, your sugar's coming down, and just imagine what that does. You know, I think we've all been on roller coasters. We know how our body kind of gets that tickly feeling. It's a shock. And so if you're giving your body 30, 40 shocks every day when your sugar's going up, when your sugar's going down, eventually one of those shocks is going to do you in because your body over time gets damaged from all those ups and downs. And really the most important thing to remember, and I'll cut it off at this because I think I'm almost out of time. Um, one thing to remember, what you're trying to prevent by managing your glucose, your sugar every day, is the complications. Because if you're able to manage your sugar every day, you prevent the cardiovascular damage the diabetes causes. Diabetes is like cholesterol, believe it or not. And we all know what cholesterol does, right? If we consume too much fat, that fat gets or stays in our blood and eventually clogs our arteries. Well, believe it or not, high sugar levels do the exact same thing. The reason that you are trying to sustain and maintain and control your sugar levels is because you don't want to clog up your arteries. All those complications that we talk about, the loss of toes, the kidney failure, the loss of vision, happens to individuals that have had diabetes for a long time that didn't know about it, that didn't care to take care of it, didn't do anything, have allowed that sugar to be high for such a long time that it eventually clogged up their arteries. Fact. Okay? So the better you're able to control your sugar levels, the better you're able to manage your diabetes 
the better you will live without complications. Because, you know, it's really sad to see people that have lost a toe, kidney failure, dialysis. And we're talking individuals that are 45, 50 years old. Why? Because they didn't care, because they didn't understand, because no one took the time to explain what they could do every day to prevent all that from happening. Thank you very much. I think I'm out of time. Thank you so much, Franco. Um, so our final speaker of the day, and then we're going to do our drawing. Now, if you guys have any more questions for Franco, he has a table out in the lobby. Um, after the seminar, you can head into the exhibit hall to speak to all of the other vendors there, and then you can also see Franco in the lobby if you have any specific questions for him. Um, so our last speaker, he's just going to be very brief. He's going to tell you about a few free programs available through the City of Los Angeles Department of Aging, which is one of our valued community partners. So I'd like to welcome... Andre Gator, who's an analyst for the city. Well, without it. Uh, thank you for the introduction, and thank you for having us here. Uh, I am here to speak on behalf of the City of L.A. Department of Aging. And um, uh, to get away a little bit about specifics about uh, diabetes, I'm going to talk about a care network a support group that's provided um, free of charge for those of us that need it. Uh, the city of L.A. Uh, has a Department of Aging that, that provides services to seniors as well as the disabled. Uh, we are smaller, one of the smaller departments within the city. Uh, our funding is derived from the federal government as well as the state and a few other private uh, entities and grants. Uh, we have um, strategically located 15 to 16 different senior centers throughout the city. Uh, and from each one of those senior centers, um, on the west side, north, um, south, uh, east, we provide a, a variety uh, of different services. And our effort is to uh, make uh, services available to you within your community as, as efficient and as simple as possible. Uh, real quickly, the type of services that we do provide, uh, we have a health insurance counseling advocacy program. If you need any um, um, expert uh, advice on uh, reading a uh, health insurance policy or Medicare or Medi-Cal, uh, we have um, advisors that's very capable of, of giving you information on the, in that respect. We have an EARS program. Uh, that provides or promotes security and independence of elderly persons that are living independently in their home. Uh, if you are, are elderly or are not able to move around as, as you um, are, are, are should be able to or can, we provide a device that um, if anything happens to you while in your home and you're, and you're there by yourself that we can, uh, we can uh, request some help, a uh, communication system that will contact one of your uh, local health care providers, and, and again, activate help for you. We provide elder abuse education throughout the community. We have an employment, a senior employment program. It's a training program. If you uh, feel that you want to remain in the workforce and um, want to train for a job, um, come on down and see us. We have excellent training programs. You work part-time. And our long-term benefit, our goal is to transition you into a, a permanent job of some sort, whether part-time or full-time. 
Again, throughout our MPCs, uh, which are multi-purpose senior centers, we uh, have uh, a variety of different types of services. Most of them, uh, for your benefit, is provided through our social workers and our, our care managers. Uh, and any time that you need uh, some type of assistance, whether it's transportation, whether it's in-home care or care uh, reprieve as a care provider, um, you're eligible to call one of our senior centers and connect with our, our social workers and care managers. And one thing we do pride ourselves on is the fact that uh, we collaborate with a lot of different entities within the community, and we're able to connect you, um, if possible, to whatever service or whatever uh, support system you'll need. But we have home modification programs, legal assistance um, in connection with elder abuse and fraud, if you suspect anything happening, whether it's with your checking account or with its relatives or with uh, doing business with somebody in the community, we have a program uh, that uh, provides pro bono services to seniors and disabled um, to help you in that respect. Uh, very high um, quality attorneys uh, that are willing to extend themselves uh, to whatever degree they need to, to, to provide you with help. Leah, uh, nutrition services. Um, if you need a nutritional meal of some sort, um, whether it's to, to uh, leverage your budget or if you need assistance with um, cooking a meal, uh, you know, we, we provide through our home delivered program and our, and our um, senior centers uh, a meal with a suggested donation, whatever you can afford. If you, if you cannot afford it, we're not going to turn you down. But uh, again, uh, that's a support program that we have. And we also provide transportation whether it's door-to-door -door or um, a subsidized um, city ride program. Uh, if you need assistance getting to the doctor, uh, getting to family or to um, some type of resource, uh, we have a program that's available uh, to help you in that respect. So, again, if you've noticed, we, we, there's not much we can't do for you. And if you need us, we're here. Uh, it's your taxpayers' dollars that are, 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 are um, subsidizing these programs. So, uh uh, come on down and, and, and take advantage of them. And even if you, you feel at this point in time in your life you don't need the service, I have uh, quite a few brochures uh, with our address, phone number, and uh, uh, connection uh, and information to services. Come over and get a brochure. Keep it long term. And if you ever need our help or if your neighbor or family member need our help, we're here to help you. Okay, I'm going to cut it short, but I will be manning a table in the uh, room next door. So come on by and see me, and I'll be happy to discuss whatever issue you want to discuss. Thank you very much for hearing me. Thanks to all of our speakers. Uh, thanks um, a whole lot. Uh, we're going to have our drawing now, is that correct, Ms. Courtney? And as soon as the drawing is done, those of you who have reservations, skedaddle over there to have your lunch, okay? So here I'm going to give Courtney. Okay, so it's the time we've all been waiting for. Um, as you know, Braille Institute is a major proponent of using technology to help you stay connected to the world around you. And we'd like to thank our partner, Enhanced Vision, a leading developer of easy-to-use magnification devices for their commitment to accessible technology for people with low vision. So I'd like to welcome to the stage David Alamascor of Enhanced Vision, the sponsor of today's drawing. Thank you, everyone. Uh, I'm going to make this short and sweet. Um, we're going to do the raffle right now, and if you have any questions after we're done here, please come back to the booth uh, behind uh, the doors here. I'll be here for a few minutes to answer any questions you may have. Now for the winner.
All right, so now remember, you must be present to win. So if I call this name and the person's not here, then we're going to pick another name. And, yes, this is a, a, a low-vision device, so we hope that the winner is someone who can actually use a low-vision magnification device. So the winner is Alex Rogan. Is he here? Okay. All right, Alex, come to the stage. <laughs> Let's see. Do you need any help coming up here? Or are you fine? <laughs> Rogan? Oh, maybe they, they misspelled it. Are you on Encino, California? Come on up. Everybody give a hand for Alex, the winner of our $600 Pebble handheld magnifier.